0: I am that's the series that we're looking at over these last number of weeks. I am Jesus in his own words and just back in the 10th of October John started this series and reminded us that it was about understanding the identity of Jesus and how he wants us to live. And this week we're going to continue looking at the I am statement I am the resurrection and life. All of these statements, we could have made them into a collage, a who I am because they um, are pointers and clues to the identity of Jesus. It's a who am I in reverse, if you like. Now, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Catherine Donker. I'm the Associate Pastor for Seniors here at Roeville Baptist Church. And for those who, who do know me, Uh, they may not have been able to recognise me this morning because finally after nine months I got a haircut. And what a glorious thing it is. First this morning I want to give you a Who Am I quiz and I wonder how many clues it will take you before you guess the identity of this person. I am a woman. I was born in another time and place. I lived in a town now known as El Azariah, on the outskirts of a great city. I wasn't part of a poor family. We were well respected in the community and known to be generous and hospitable. I shared my home with my brother and my sister. My brother's friend was a carpenter and a teacher. My sister is famous for scandalously pouring expensive perfume over the feet of a man and wiping those feet with her hair. I am Martha, known as the busy server, the hostess to Jesus, the one whose brother Lazarus was raised from the dead. I am Martha, and I believed in Jesus. At first we think of Martha, in terms of what she does, that's the normal image that we have of her, but ultimately her identity is in her relationship to Jesus. Now, have you ever wondered who you are? Ask yourself that, who am I? question. Well, the simple way to answer that question is that our identity also comes from our relationship with Jesus. And when who he is is clear then who we are also becomes clear. That's why exploring this series of I Am Statements is so vital. We want to get a true and a right perspective and we're going to the source, Jesus, in his own words. And today the passage is a significant dialogue between Martha and Jesus. I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to them in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 17. And we're going to particularly focus on two statements today. One a statement and one actually a question, both quotes of Jesus. But first let's just go back to verse 17. John chapter 11 verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. "'Lord,' Martha said to Jesus, "'if you had been here, my brother would not have died. "'But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Your brother will rise again.' Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Back at the start of uh, chapter 11, we have this, the scene here. Uh, we read that Lazarus, who's in the village of Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha, was sick, and the sister sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. In fact, verse 5 tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But he doesn't hurry to them, much to the surprise of the disciples. And even though he says to them that he knows that Lazarus is dead, he doesn't hurry to their side. He sets off after some time and he arrives once Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And here's a situation where the man is dead. Utterly and completely, without a doubt, dead. End of the story, it might seem, because death is final. We know that death is final. Or people throughout time have known that death is final. It is a final frontier. And not space, as Star Trek fans might have you believe, but death is the final frontier. But then we see things differently because we are believers and we don't see death as final. It's inevitable. The old joke goes that there are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. But we don't see death as final, because we exist on the most pivotal act of history, the resurrection of Jesus. But here in this story we have this man Lazarus uh, dead in his tomb. His grieving sisters are there trying to deal with the, the mourners and the comforters that have come. And verse 20 we have quite a surprising scene because Martha goes out to meet him and thinking of the usual scene of Martha, she would be the one attending to the, the, the people who've come. As the grieving sister, she would be doing those duties. But she leaves Mary and she goes out to Jesus, the one that she loves, the one that she knows loves her. And she comes to him. You can imagine the scene where she's practically running or falling into his arms, possibly, with this, this phrase, if you had been here... This is a woman who's in grief, and she meets with one who loves her, who's also grieving. It's a situation of grief. If you had been here, this would not have happened. Lazarus would not have died. But Jesus here, as a personal, loving God, is meeting with someone that He loves, and. Strangely, in verse 22, Martha says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, I just have to say I was thinking about skipping that verse because it seems a little strange. It doesn't seem likely that she would expect that um, Lazarus would be raised from the dead. We know the end of the story, but um, it's not likely that she would understand that that might happen. And even her next words indicate that she was not expecting that. So I really don't have a clear explanation of verse 22 for you at this point. We're going to have to move on and leave that for another time. But Jesus responds to her in verse 23 and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha in return, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And it's here we need to take a little bit of a longer pause about what Martha is meaning. What is this resurrection at the last day? And we need to remember that we've talked about this, that we are ahead in the story. We have the the benefit of hindsight, looking back as to what happens. But what was she thinking? What is she saying when she talks about this resurrection at the last day? And we need to understand this before we move to Jesus' statement, I am. The resurrection, because resurrection is key. It is key and it is identity. It's identity of Jesus, the identity of Martha, and it is identity for us. Resurrection is central. It's core. In fact, the whole of 1 Corinthians 15 is devoted to a discussion about resurrection. Verse 17 says, if Christ has not been raised Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. This time, right now, is useless unless we acknowledge the truth of resurrection in Christ. So our understanding of resurrection needs to be broader than a man who was dead and is raised to life, incredible as it is, and we're going to just go on a little bit of a journey to explore this idea of resurrection. If we go right back in history and in time to the early Old Testament, the people were very much focused on living their earthly lives, living according to the law, being righteous before God and experiencing that reward on earth or, in fact, punishment if they were wicked. And as time goes on, they start to have a growing view that this reward they receive for righteous living will be of a life, a new life, a resurrection. And it's all wrapped up in this future hope and longing for Messiah. I was so thrilled when... uh, Walter was sharing these songs this morning, the team. Jesus Messiah, because that is part of what I wanted to share with you today. Messiah who would bring the kingdom of God, resurrection. It's about restoring Israel to the ideal state where justice and peace are are evident, where the nations recognise the true king, a messianic age where life would be given to the righteous dead, resurrection. And in the time of Jesus, they're still looking for this ideal state, this salvation from the political and economical oppression of the Roman Empire. They're looking for national salvation, the freedom to be God's people in the land. And for the Pharisees of the time, resurrection was the reward for this righteous living, which is why they get a little bit fixated on um, the law. They wanted to live righteously. They wanted the Messiah to come. This would be God's kingdom. For the Sadducees, regis- excuse me, resurrection was not part of the equation, which is why we have the old Sunday school saying that that is why they were sad you see. Dad joke. So one of the strong outlines that I discovered in terms of uh, this understanding of Messiah and kingdom of God and resurrection coming together was clearer and clearer through the week as I read is the picture of God ruling his people in a place that he provides. Messiah was the one to bring God's kingdom and resurrection was a sign of the kingdom. The kingdom where God was ruling, his people in his place. And it's not hard to go back to the image of Genesis. God with his people in the place that he had provided. But sin damaged the picture. There was an identity shift. Then we see glimpses again as God makes covenant with his people of Israel and he wants to rule his people in the place he provides, the promised land. But sin is still marring the picture. Sin has to be dealt with. Romans reminds us the wages of sin is death. But God gives us eternal life. God made a way, it was Jesus. He came proclaiming the message, the kingdom of God. This was his ministry on earth, a proclamation of the kingdom. Jesus was in no doubt about his identity. He knew, he knows, he is one with the Father and to make him known. He is the Son of God, the promised one, the Messiah. He's come to bring the kingdom. In his own words from Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, we have this consistent message. Jesus went about teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. He was healing sickness and disease. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. And though he proclaims it in his preaching and his teaching, in the healings of the sicknesses and diseases, ultimately and most definitely he proclaims it through resurrection. This is where he institutes the kingdom to make things as they should be. God reigning over his people in his place. For all eternity. So death is overcome resurrection arrives, eternal life, reward for the righteous, God himself gifting us his righteousness. And that's where we're headed. We have the picture again in Revelation. So from Genesis to Revelation, scripture is the story of the kingdom of God and resurrection is central, literally. I said that we're speaking in this series about Jesus in his own words. If we look to Revelation, he says there, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Resurrection is the pivotal act and experience that demonstrates that the kingdom of God has arrived. A unique event Not just a return to life. We have stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament of people who were raised, we could say they were resurrected to life, but they were not raised by their own power or will. They were raised by external, um, where Jesus interacted with them, where there were external circumstances, where the power of God raised them to life again. But they would face death on this earth. But Jesus is unique. He alone has the power over life and death. He laid down his life and he picks it up again. He is the one who is resurrection. It's an incredibly mind-blowing event if you think about this. He was dead and he is alive and he is alive forevermore. If we go back to our passage that we're looking at in John chapter 11, Martha, when she's talking resurrection, is thinking Jewish, future hope, the end, the time when it will all happen. And Jesus stands before her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, and the the message is to us too, hear this, resurrection is now, present with you. In other words, This is the beginning of the end, the new era era, where righteous receive life. Now, Jesus had not yet died nor been resurrected, but he knows who he is and why he's come on earth, his mission. He came to deliver us, as Colossians tells us, from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom. I particularly like the message translation of the verses that we want to focus on today today, verses 25 and 26, and in the message translation it says it like this. You don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives, believing in me, does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Before we move from this statement to the question, we don't want to ignore the second part of the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. They're linked. Resurrection and life are one. Life is what we have when there is no death. And questions of life and death are fundamental. They're covered in thousands of books, TV programs, podcasts, articles, you name it, imagine it, conversations about life, uh, what constitutes life, the quality of life. What we know and see here is that life is in Jesus. He creates it, he sustains it, and he gifts us eternal life. Colossians 1 tells us, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Gospel of John is all about life in Jesus. From the beginning, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. At the end, we have believing that you may have life in his name. In the middle, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Where this is where resurrectional life come together. We are no longer constrained by sin and death, but we are free to live, and we have been given life now and into eternity. In the words of Buzz Lightyear, it's to infinity and beyond. In the words of the Westminster Catechism, which is quite a leap from the words of Buzz Lightyear, I'll give you that. Uh, In the Westminster Catechism, we say that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I just think that's a beautiful phrase, to enjoy him forever, equating enjoying him and enjoying life. How are you... Living. How are you enjoying him? How are you enjoying life? He's given us life in abundance—a vast, beautiful creation of plants and animals and people and sounds and smells and colours and textures, all to explore and to enjoy. When I was young, when I was a primary age student living in South Australia, our family had a very, very large atlas, and. It was in the days, I'm old enough to confess, I'm in the days when I was aware of the daughter door salesman for Encyclopaedia Britannica. Um, unfortunately, our family weren't in a position to um, afford those, but Mum was adamant that we have a very good dictionary and a very good atlas. And I spent hours laying on the floor of our lounge room with that atlas open, poring over those images of looking at the geography of the lands, looking at the names of places and dreaming of all the incredible um, places I would one day like to visit and all the while being overwhelmed by the knowledge my life would not be long enough to explore all the places that I wanted to see. But I'm very thankful I've had an experience uh, the, the experience over my life to this point to, to explore many parts of the planet and I hope I get the opportunities for more exploring and enjoying. Our daughter Jessica has a gift for language. She's got a good ear and she's got wonderful curiosity and for her to investigate and to learn to communicate in other languages is a joy for her. Life is full, people full of so many things to enjoy and to celebrate. A life overflowing with being God's people and living under his rule. It's more than this pleasure of enjoying life. It's a task of bringing his life, his rule, of the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And one article I came across recently described it as Jesus' resurrection project. We become participants in this resurrection project when we believe. In verse 25 it says, When we believe in him, we will live even though we die. And verse 26, Whoever lives believing in him will never die. And now we face the question. The question that is posed to Martha and is posed to us. At the end of verse 26, Jesus says to her, Do you believe this? Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. She believed, and this informed her identity. Do you believe this? Now that we see who Jesus is, who am I? Am I a believer? Am I a kingdom person? Am I living a life desiring to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? A Romans 14 life of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit as part of the kingdom of God? Am I living as one, according to 1 Peter, giving praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gives new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, being kept in heaven for me, and who through faith is being shielded by God's power till the coming of salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now I know that like me, John and Jen Coombs are among the West Wing TV series fans. It's a political drama based on the staff of the West Wing of the White House. And Martin Sheen plays the President of the United States, and one of his famous lines is, "What's next?" I got excited listening to the interview with Pedro and Annaly. They referred to this, "What's next? What needs doing? What's the focus of the action? And it's a question that comes here. Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the life." What's next? Do you believe? What's next? What's next is an unspoken challenge. How then will you live? The facts are laid out before us and we must choose. Who are you? Who am I? And how we will conduct our life on this earth and into eternity. Will you choose to deny him and forfeit life? Or will you choose to share this ever-present, death-defying, life-giving relationship with Jesus now and forever. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now you'll have seen that from the aesthetics this morning, it is a communion Sunday. And I trust that you have come as one who believes, one who's prepared themselves and hopefully have prepared some elements. We're not going to be using these things today. They were just there for the aesthetics. But I hope that you have prepared something to share as communion, whether you're on your own or whether you're with family, that you'll come around those elements and reflect and choose to be a believer, as Martha did, and the Lord, the Christ, the Son of God who came into the world just got one more scripture to share with you this morning as we um, enter into this time of communion from Matthew 26, verse 26. It says there, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And verse 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let me just pray for you and for us at this time of communion before we end this service. Lord, we want to come to you as one who is alive, one who hears and responds to our prayers and we just want to thank you that you came with the message of the kingdom of God and we want to thank you that you have made us to be your people and that you have gifted us righteousness that we might enjoy eternal life with you forever. It's serious and it's holy, but it is victorious and it is cause for celebration. So, Lord, as we go into this week, we want to go with song in our heart and on our lips, declaring the truth. Jesus, you are resurrection and life. We praise you and thank you and ask for your blessing upon us as your people. In Jesus' name. Go then with that song in your heart and on your lips, celebrating and declaring Jesus' resurrection and life. Thank you.